Hello, and welcome to the Rediscovering Play podcast brought to you by Biba. I'm your host, Mike Rosen. As we've previously discussed, our mission at Biba and the goal of this podcast is to investigate, explore, and question what it means to play for kids in this modern era. Whether that's through building mobile games designed to get kids back out on playgrounds to get the physical activity that they need, or doing a deep dive into parenting tips in this new technological age, we are committed to rediscovering the idea of play for today's families. And what better time to be rediscovering play? While many of us are finding ourselves spending way more time inside and working from home these days, it's understandable that we might be trying to figure out how best to maintain a sense of normalcy and how to avoid going completely stir-crazy while cooped up indoors. This is especially true for parents who are dealing with the fact that their children are home, schools are closed, playdates and activities are limited, and on top of that, kids have questions about what's going on in the world and parents need to know how best to answer them appropriately. How do we maintain a sense of play in these trying times? How do we play with our children in a way that's both fun and safe? How do we maximize the limits of our confined spaces to make sure that our kids are still able to get the physical activity that they need? On this next series of episodes of Biba's Rediscovering Play podcast, we aim to answer these questions and more through conversations with parents, childcare workers, medical staff, and various other industry professionals to provide you with helpful tips and tricks, new perspectives, and fresh insights to help ensure that you and your family can stay happy, healthy, and active while we navigate this new current at-home situation. Join us while we rediscover play together. On today's episode of Biba's Rediscovering Play podcast, our guest is Jennifer Kalari. Jennifer is one of the nation's leading parenting experts and is a highly sought after international speaker and the founder of Connected Parenting. A child and family therapist with a busy practice based in Toronto and San Diego, Kalari is the author of Connected Parenting, How to Raise a Great Kid, and You're Ruining My Life But Not Really, Surviving the Teenage Years with Connected Parenting. She's a frequent guest on Canada AM, CBC, Breakfast Television, CTV News, and Global's The Morning Show, and her advice can be found in many Canadian and U.S. magazines. Jennifer and I pick up the conversation from where we left it off last time, and she talks about one of the other major tenets of her connected parenting philosophy, which is what she calls being a good frontal lobe for your children. We talk about conflict de-escalation and the ways that you should handle things when they go sideways in terms of the family dynamic. It's a really interesting conversation with some great practical tips, so I hope you enjoy it. Here's Jennifer. Hey, Jennifer. Thank you so much for coming and joining me on this podcast again. I really appreciate it. Oh, I'm excited. Looking forward to it. Um, how have things been for you in the last, uh, I guess, month and a half or so since uh, since we last spoke? Um, you know what? They've been they've been pretty good. I mean, I know that there's there's some worries in the world, and this is not a happy thing by any means that's that's going on but it I really have found it an opportunity to kind of slow down and connect and catch up on things and just find kind of my own inner peace in my house which I have older kids which makes it much easier Um, but no it's it's actually been really nice and it's been a a lovely experience working with my families I have a pretty active caseload and helping all of them through various phases I've definitely noticed families going through (laughs) different uh phases of this whole thing, which we can talk about. Um, but in general, it's been, it's been, a, it's been okay. That's good. I'm glad to hear it. I mean, it seems like, you know, a lot, a lot of different parents and families that I've spoken to are sort of feeling a similar thing where, you know, there, there were so many unknowns at first and people were sort of struggling to figure out how to adjust and to whatever extent have sort of adjusted 
now and there's still yeah. obviously challenges and things but of course you know yeah. this this new normal is is it's kind of weird because it seems like now that as people are settling in is when conversations are now starting up about how we can slowly reopen things and i think that that's probably going to bring you know a whole new set of uh, of challenges for for what it looks like to adjust back yeah. to normal life and how to yeah. keep some of these yeah. these silver lining positive things that people have learned and how to adapt mm -hmm. and bring those into sort of quote unquote normalcy Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, it's interesting you say that because I definitely saw, and I experienced this myself, um, sort of the very beginning people were initially thinking, okay, like I can do this. This is, this is going to be okay. We're going to be all right. And then when it sort of settled in for a while, people were like, okay, we don't have this. This is a nightmare. And that was sort of the, the storming phase where everybody was kind of pushing back and sort of more afraid and um, siblings fighting and getting on each other's nerves. And there was a lot of um, a work that needed to be done during that phase. And now we're kind of in this phase where we're like, okay, we're finding our rhythm a little bit. And, and there really are some lovely things that are happening. There's more family dinners and less time in the car driving to practices. And there, and even the children that I work with are saying the same thing, that there's, there is this pace, this quieter pace to things that I think we do want to hold on to when life goes back, if it ever goes back to normal. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting because so many of the, the sort of tensions that I think occur in families so often are around things like scheduling and being late for things and trying to rush and get people out the door and all the challenges of, Absolutely. you know, someone might take longer to tie their shoes than you'd want them to. And that causes all sort of tension. When you, when you don't yep. have to be anywhere, a lot of that stuff kind of goes away and gives chance for sort of the deeper connection and the deeper work, which yes. I think is, is, is really positive and is sort of like what we were talking about last time. And, and for, for the listeners who didn't have a chance to listen to to the first conversation that that uh, the two of us had, we spoke a lot about um, the importance of compassion and connection and empathy and loving kindness and understanding in terms of establishing those initial connections. And we talked a lot about the the sort of biochemistry and the neuroscience behind how a lot of that mm -hmm. stuff works, which I thought was really really fascinating and strongly suggest that everybody listens to. And and again, mm -hmm. the idea of of compassion and love being sort of the underpinning. Um, I think goes a long way in terms of, of um, maintaining sort of that the healthy family dynamic and, and, and connection and making sure that everybody gets through this in a sort of happy, healthy way. Absolutely. And that, that compassion and, and connection is medicine. It really is. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and it, it's interesting because, you know, in, in some ways, I feel like that, that sort of compassion, connection, loving kindness aspect of things is, 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 is a really beautiful sort of aspirational thing to get to. And I think that there's probably sometimes where that's easier to, to achieve than others. And I think that in some ways, like we talked about before, once that foundation is set, that's sort of when part two of what you talk about a lot of connect and parenting can kick in. And that's a lot more about, you know, the, the, the more sort of setting limits and, and, and consequences and, and sort of being a good frontal lobe as you described it last time. And I'd be curious to hear more of, of where that's yeah. coming from because I would imagine a lot sure. of families as this has gone on are sort of getting to the point where there may be tensions and knowing how to sort of navigate those in a, in a productive way um, and how to yeah. set those rules and, and those, those guidelines I think uh, would be really important for parents to hear. Yeah. Well, let's, let's dive into that for sure, because that that's really the most important thing that I want parents to understand is where you're not a parent, really, <laughs> you're a substitute frontal lobe, right? So the frontal lobe's job is to inhibit, organize, prioritize, motivate, regulate, and take perspective and many other things, but those are the main things. And it's a very, very sophisticated part of the brain that takes about 25 years to grow. 
So essentially, um, we're providing that substitute brain function as our children's brains are growing enough that they can become their own parent, which is essentially what happens. Um, and you sort of think about it that human babies are all born premature, right? They're all born, uh, you know, they can't roll over, they can't sit up, they're basically a giant head, and like babies can't do anything for months and months and months. And it's well over a year before they can even walk. Um, so all during that time, you want to think of that as sort of a a fourth trimester, right? Where the, you're sort of doing all because the, the brain is basically um, it's just a rough map laid down for the brain uh, in utero. And then once the baby is born, that's when most of brain development happens, which all happens outside. So as you're teaching your child about the world and making little faces and they're making faces back and all of that is happening, um, that's brain development. But you really are the frontal lobe. So one of my favorite things to say to a family is you, you, you're not mean, you're a frontal lobe. You, you have to provide that limit setting, that predictable, loving limit setting that's critical, that is as critical for mental health as the love and connection part. Yeah, I mean, I remember years ago when I first sort of came across the concept of what you're talking about, where just like the idea of the frontal lobe and the brain sort of being more, quote unquote, fully formed, not happening until, you know, you're, you're the age between 20 and 25 being so fascinating and thinking about, um, you know, the, the, the concept of, of adulthood or, or, you know, how that distinction is made and the idea of like when you can start driving, when you can start drinking and all these things, mm -hmm. if you truly don't know, understand fully what the consequences of your actions are until you're sort of at this other stage. But again, all the more important as to why as parents, it's, 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 it's sort of so vital to make sure that you're providing that role so that, you know, as, as, as children, as people are developing, um, again, if you're being effective for that, then, I mean, it's going to develop it in a stronger way and you're going to have a stronger sense of, of how to navigate that on your own and before it's sort of fully formed on its own. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it's very tricky. I mean, there's so many sides to, to parenting and, and we sort of touched on this the last time too. Like there's, there's all kinds of confusing messaging around parenting. There's, you know, it's, there's either you've got to be tough and one, two, three magic and setting limits and timeouts and all of that stuff or tiger mall. And there's a whole bunch of kind of tougher models. And then there's a lot of this sort of softer, you know, don't say no to your children, uh, let them make decisions. Um, you know, timeouts are bad for them. And there's sort of all of these conflicting messages, but the truth is we need to be both of those things. We need to be very loving and very compassionate and very understanding and understand where our children are coming from in each developmental stage. And there's so much to learn and there's so much to know. And at the same time, you really do have to set these predictable, loving limits that your kids can count on and they want you to. I, mean, I work with children all the time and they, they'll, they'll, they will tell me, I wish my parents would say what they mean. They say they're gonna take things away from me and then they don't, which actually confuses kids and makes them feel less safe. So. The analogy that I love to give is imagine that you were on an airplane and I, I might've given this last time, but it's such a great way to kind of set the stage for it. If you're on an airplane and it was a turbulent, terrifying, scary, bumpy flight, and the captain decided that he was going to wander down the aisle and just connect with everybody. How are you guys doing? I know you're scared. You know, I could, I could go 28,000 feet if you want, or I could try 30. Like, what do you guys think? How would you feel as a passenger on that plane? Terrified. Are you kidding me? Like, why are you asking me? I'm a passenger, right? 
for the sake of argument, we'll say the cockpit door is open and the captain's in there yelling and screaming, why is this red button flashing and I don't understand why the control tower is not answering me and they don't pay me enough for this job. How are you going to feel as a passenger on that plane? Right? You want the captain to be flying the plane right? mm. and in charge and quite calm and in that sort of strong, strong, neutral range. And so we think sometimes how we look to our kids, we're either, honey, please, please talk, please talk. Could you please do that for my daddy wants you? That kind of begging, pleading sound, which you're asking your kids a question that has a yes or no answer to. So they'd be like, no, I'm going to keep doing what I want, right? Or you're yelling and screaming, this is ridiculous, and you're, this. you're out of control. And then you're out of control as well, right? So your children, we our children really need to have this sense that we are... Um, in a very strong, neutral way in charge. And that's when they listen. Hmm. Yeah, I think that's such a powerful analogy. And I think it's one of those things, one of the biggest struggles that a lot of parents have is, you know, they understand that you need to be disciplinarian at times and they understand that you need to be loving at times. And I think that so often just fall into sort of like these, these diametrically opposed versions mm -hmm. of those things like you're describing, like when it's time to be loving, you're so loving and so coddling and so like babying. And sometimes that's positive and sometimes it's not. And the mm -hmm. inverse is also true, right? When it comes to being a disciplinarian, if you're so extreme on that side, and I'm, I, I, I would imagine that the message that that sends to a child not only is, you know, uh, not knowing what version of your parent you're going to be dealing with at that time, but also, um, you know, you're going to respond in, in completely different ways to those different behaviors. And, and um, you know, again, a confusing message and, and just, mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's not really going to elicit the response that, that you would be wanting, I would imagine. No, no, it doesn't. And so one way to really find this beautiful neutral place is to, um, I call it lining up with love, right? So when you are, because human beings, we only have two emotions. Honestly, we only have two, love, and fear. So anger and rage and gossip and bitterness and yelling and screaming and cheating and lying, that's all fear, all of it. Anyone who behaves that way is afraid. It's fight or flight, right? So when you are lined up with love versus fear, it's going to come across in that um, in that realm that you want your, your kids to kind of experience you at. So if you're saying, from a place of love, like your kids, I don't know, you know that they want to stay up and watch something and you know that they can't, they just can't. They, they're they so miserable the next day and it's so, they'll be so unhappy and they have some birthday party or something that they have to go to and it just, it really doesn't make sense for them to stay up that night. If you line up with fear and you start yelling, this is ridiculous and if you think you're going to be able to go to that party tomorrow, you do this to me every time and you say you can stay up and then you be hit. If it's that, they're just seeing like rage or out of control or anger, right? But if it's lined up with love, like I love you enough for you to be mad at me. I know, I totally get that you wanna stay up and I would too if I was a kid, but I can see what's gonna happen tomorrow. And I love you enough for you to be mad at me. We are not staying up to watch that show. I know how badly you want to, but we're not doing it tonight, not happening. We're turning it off. Can you feel that centeredness? Like, and it's also when you line up yourself with it, if you're thinking, oh, they better listen to me. And oh my God, this is probably gonna turn into a whole thing. And I don't know if this is ever gonna work. If that's where it's coming from when we're trying to operate with our kids, they'll already pick up on that and you're already done. And, and yelling, which is a very, very powerful, not powerful, um, popular, let's put it that way, parenting technique, really doesn't work that well. And if it did, there'd be a lot of very well-behaved children in the world. Yelling doesn't work. 
you're you're either hilarious and they don't care and then you have to yell to such a degree that then they're like oh now dad's serious or now mom's serious and then they're crying because now they're upset or you're absolutely terrifying right from the get-go and they're feeling ashamed and they're feeling afraid um you know once in a while if you yell it's a normal thing to do it's a normal thing that happens when you make someone mad okay they're gonna yell sometimes if you raised your children and never ever ever gotten mad you're going to mess them up anyway because their boss is going to yell at them or something's going to happen later in life they're not going to know what to do with it but yelling is a primary tool completely ineffective honestly it really doesn't work um and it doesn't and we know it doesn't because listen have you any of the listeners here has anyone ever been yelled at bawled out screamed at reprimanded and they've gone oh my goodness, thank you. Thank you so much. That was amazing. Thank you. I totally understand. Now I'm gonna go fix it. Like, would you ever do that? Yeah, it's 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 not it's not it's not gonna elicit that response ever. Never, never. Your child is never gonna go, you're right, mom. I am lucky to have a brother and I'm gonna go share my toys with them. Like, no. So we have this idea that we're gonna get this reaction back from our kids. Like, Okay, mom, but no, the limbic system kicks in. That's the part of the brain that's in charge of fight, flight, or freeze. That's the part of the brain that's in in charge of deciding if something, if you're in danger. And the minute you feel threatened, whether it's your brother or your mother or a tiger chasing you down the street, it doesn't matter. The limbic system is not particularly intelligent. It just decides whether there's a threat or not. So the minute you start, you know, breathing quickly and your muscles tense up and your heart starts racing and cortisol is flowing through your body, the frontal lobe actually shuts off. And when you think about this as a parent, you can see it in your child's face. They get that crazy kind of look in their eyes and you know the frontal lobe isn't on. They're literally just limbically limbically reacting in that moment. And then they'll push and push and push until we get really angry in that moment. Now you have two limbic systems reacting to each other, which is never pretty. It never really works. And that's when parents go to sleep at night, upset, crying, what kind of parent am I? I know better than this. I've, you know, I've read all this beautiful stuff on how to be aware and be conscious and, and I'm screaming and yelling and what's wrong with me. And you know, so many moms and dads just feel so terrible later in the day because they've been brought to this limbic place. But the other piece of that, and we'll come back to it where we were going, but there's this thread that I want to follow on, which is that children, because they don't have a fully formed frontal lobe, they will actually use us in order to regulate. So what happens is they get us, they don't listen, they don't listen, they don't listen, or they do things on purpose to bug their siblings or to bug us so that we eventually yell. Now, when we yell, it's actually stimulating. It, it's, it gives them a blast of adrenaline. Adrenaline is a stimulant that actually lights up the frontal lobe, just like Concerta or Vivans or or Ritalin, right? So it's lighting up the frontal lobe, getting all the electricity from the brainstem into the frontal lobe so the brain can actually be balanced for a second and they can make a better decision. So kids will often regulate based on our yelling. So literally, they get a hit. They're like, oh, and they walk away and actually kind of have been jigged into place a little bit. And then as parents, we're like a dish rag on the floor. We're done. We're so tired. We're so, so exhausted from that. And we feel terrible. So it's so important to understand this is all psychoneurobiology, right? We're all playing such a, such an interesting role in each other's lives chemically that it's really important to understand that. So when you line up with love, when you're lined up in this neutral place, you know, like the example I gave, I love you enough for you to be mad at me. You're not having that toy or you're not staying up or whatever it is. 
first of all, your kids believe you because there's not a thread of your brain going, God, I hope this works. Because if it's, if there's even a thread of that, your children will pick up on it. They're much more intuitive than adults. Um, it'll be lined up with love. They'll believe you in that moment and they're not gonna regulate off you. But we end up, and if we look at some of our patterns in, in our, in our uh, family life, this is why children often bug each other, right? They'll go after their siblings or it's time to get out of the car and they'll all go crazy running to the house. Oh, like there's this, it happens during these transition times. Um, and what they're looking for is adrenaline. And remind me, I'll talk about adrenaline play in a second. That's a great way to regulate this, but so much of this is biochemical. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we spoke a bit about adrenaline play last time, and it's interesting that, you know, it, it just it reinforces how important that is to also reduce those behaviors where they're trying to get that mm -hmm. adrenaline hit from, uh, you know, a more negative way, or what they're doing is they're, they're, they're forcing you to go to sort of your angry fight place. Yeah. Um, and yeah. if there's more productive ways of doing that without, you know, having tensions flare up, then, you know, all the more importance as to why it's important to do this sort of, you know, um, adrenaline play techniques that you had suggested previously and, and, and a variety of others, I'm sure. Yeah, it's, it's a great way to kind of just get that behavior lined up and get and have them get that stimulation and excitement through adrenaline through a connected, positive, fun way versus a tearing the house down. Kind of way and and there will always be some tantrums it is quite normal especially for littler kids like under eight to have meltdowns that is how they regulate sometimes they just keep it in and keep it in they got these giant big feelings that don't fit in their little bodies and you know they've had a big birthday party or something really exciting that they've been looking forward to and now it's over and it's quite common for them to just melt into a pile on the floor um, some of that is normal, you know, parents, I think panic and think, oh my God, is it my parenting? What's wrong with my child? And there's a certain amount of that that's perfectly normal. And if you overreact and panic during those times and work too hard during those moments, you're actually going to end up fueling them. Hmm. Well, it's right? interesting because I feel like, especially with everything that's going on with the shelter in place regulations and things now is that everything, everything is happening under a microscope. You know, like those, yeah. those, those meltdowns, which are normal, seem like they're that much more profound because, you know, everyone's in such closer quarters. And, you know, the, the thing that I keep thinking about is, like you mentioned, children using their parents as sort of a form of, of regulating themselves. Um, and at a mm -hmm. time like this, where I think parents are also having a hard time regulating because, you know, there's, there's a lot of questions about what's going on in the world from a health perspective and from an economic perspective. And, you know, is, is, are we excited about going back to, um, you know, quote unquote normal? Are we worried that this is maybe too soon? I'm having a hard time balancing all these different things. And when you're having a hard time balancing and your child is looking mm -hmm. to you as a sort of sure. regulator, I mean, all those challenges get amplified significantly. Yes, yes, that's very true. And and certainly being, um, you know, children are super uh, intuitive, so they can, and I, I honestly feel like they can feel our energy as well, right? Even though we're trying to keep it together, um, they can feel it. So it's kind of important to make sure you're having really, you know, kids don't need too much information, but they need enough. Otherwise, they're going to make their own conclusions, and often the conclusions that they come to are far worse. Um, and I think that the biggest thing is we expect our children to be able to control themselves, right? Control their emotions, control their behaviors, control their flare-ups. We have this expectation that they'll be able to do that. And yet a lot of the times we can't. Mm -hmm. And then our kids look at us and go, oh my God, well, she's like, she's a grown-up. He's a grown-up. I'm six. What chance do I have of being able to keep it together? My parents can't keep it together, right? So it's really, really important 
to work on that yourself, to work on that regulation yourselves. And part of that comes from being kind to yourself. You're going to lose it sometimes. What I love about connected parenting is you get to blow it. Of course, we're going to blow it. Then you get to go back and you can repair, right? So the calm technique, which we kind of touched on last time and we can talk a little, a little bit about today, allows you to go back an hour later, two weeks later, a month later and say, oh, you remember like a week ago when I told you to go live at the neighbors because you wouldn't put your raincoat on. I didn't actually stop and think about what that was like for you. You really had an idea of why you didn't need to wear that. And I just didn't listen. You can go back and do that anytime, right? So it it that's that's really, I think, a powerful thing. Um, and, and there's sort of ebbs and flows to things. You're going to get it right sometimes. You're going to get it wrong sometimes. You can repair. And underlying all of this is love and connection. And kids are so understanding. And they feel so good when they know that everything you're doing really comes from that place of love. So you don't have to be perfect. We can all be perfectly imperfect. In fact, that's more perfect mm-hmm. and more normal, really. And I would imagine that the more that you try and practice these techniques, because again, you know, from a from a neurological perspective and a biochemistry perspective, and all the things that are happening inside a child's brain are also happening in your brain as an adult, right? So understanding yeah. the motivations as to why certain behaviors are happening in your child also would make you reflect on oh, I reacted in this particular way because X. And then in doing so, you're yeah. not only doing a better job at sort of managing your child's emotions and, and and their motivations and ego balancing and whatever it might be, but you're also doing that same thing or becoming more aware at least of how to do it for your own self. Well, absolutely. And, and, and if that's something that can come out of all of this, then that would be great because the truth is, and this is such a good example of it, what we're all going through right now is we can never really control ultimately conditions in our lives ever um but we can always control our emotional response to them right so if that's where we put our energy then we're going to be modeling some really great things for our kids we're going to let go a lot of our own anxieties and our own stress as we try to control every single thing which you can't ever um and you can't for your child right so the more you try to control everything that's happening to them and call the teacher over everything and make sure they're invited to everything and, and sort of control how your grandparents talk, how the grandparents talk to the kids and all of that, you're gonna exhaust yourself. It's impossible. It's impossible. Um, but teaching your children to um, have that emotional regulation and learn how to handle what life throws at them, because life is always gonna throw stuff at them and, and helping them learn these tough lessons now, because listen, if you don't teach your kids some of these lessons, life will, and life is a much harsher teacher really and truly. So I think there's a whole piece, which I think connected parenting brings is you know, about healthy adversity, about letting your kids hear the word no and be okay with it eventually. And, you know, not have everything given to them and saying to your kids, oh, I love you enough for you to be mad at me, but I'm not buying you that you don't need it. You don't, you feel like you do. And you can mirror and connect about how cool it looks and how wonderful it'd be. And I get it. And I was a kid once too, but you know what? I love you enough to say no. So the answer is no, and you're going to be okay, right? That that, that balance, I think, is really, it, it's hard to achieve, but when you start getting the hang of it, you, you, you literally feel so much more free. It's like, as a parent, you feel like, okay, I got this. I can handle this. And even when they're having a huge meltdown, you realize this is a moment in time. It's a crest on a wave. It's going to happen. You sort of, one of my favorite techniques actually is called the paradoxical approach. And I can't remember if we talked about this last time. It's when you've you've done your mirroring, you've used the calm technique for whatever reason, your child is still having a meltdown. They're still losing it. 
instead of parenting through that pit in your stomach where you're thinking, oh God, we got to get through this. Oh, the whole night's going to be like this now. Oh my God. You know, you push right through that and you're like, you know what, darling, I have listened to, I have understood, I get it, but literally you're just having a moment. So let's move some things. You just throw yourself on the ground if you have to. You cry, you get it out, get it out, get it out. That's okay. And your kid's screaming and yelling and you've allowed it. So what's so interesting is you lose that fear, right? That you're losing control of the moment because you've literally given them permission to just release, right? And you're kind of holding a space for that. They're going to look at you and go, well, this isn't working. This isn't having the effect that it's normally having. I do this to control my parents. So literally most of the time they will stop after a few seconds because they're realizing that they're not getting the reaction that they're looking for from you. Mm -hmm. Even the kids who throw themselves into it, they're kind of looking with one eye open going, why isn't this working? Right. And they're kind of, and then even if they do have a full blown tantrum, they're going to remember the next time. Well, that got me nothing. I didn't even get my parents upset. I didn't even get to take them down with me. I just blew myself out for 45 minutes and got nothing out of it. Behaviors only exist um, if they're being rewarded in some way. Right. And so you're sort even of, if you, yeah, go ahead, go ahead. I was yeah. just going to say you're, you're in essence, you're providing a safe space for exploration for them where you're giving them permission to experiment and, and, and try out those things. And then when they see that it isn't yeah. working, then they're not going to continue it. doing that behavior because they know exactly. it doesn't work and you've allowed, you've given them permission to try it out and they've seen yeah. for themselves that it hasn't been effective. Exactly. And even if they truly, for whatever reason, because a lot of how children regulate is to, they, they just, it like builds up and builds up and builds up and then they have to literally discharge, right? So sometimes they just have to have a fit. They don't even know why. And you can literally in the middle of it, just go, do you need a hug? Do you want to just have a nice chest to chest hug? And, and often your kids will be like, yes. And sometimes they'll be like, no, don't touch me. And that's okay. And you just sort of say, hey, get it out. And you want to give that message that this happens sometimes. It's not the end of the world. You can have a big fit and a meltdown and be just fine after. Mm -hmm. right? And then later, much later, you can say, wow, those were really big feelings. And that lasted a really long time. But look, you're good now. That's how feelings work. That's how emotions work. Mm -hmm. Well, it sounds like this is all related to the, the calm technique. And I know that you sort of hinted at it the last time we had a conversation. We didn't really have a chance to go into it at all. And I know that we don't mm -hmm. have a ton of time, but I would love to be able to hear more about how that technique works and, and, and ways that parents can be uh, implementing that in their parenting. Sure, absolutely. So so there's four things that you're, gonna, you're going to do. And I guess you'd listen back to the first um, our first discussion together for like the neuroscience behind it. But the first thing you're going to do is you're going to connect. You're going to use your body. You're going to use your shoulders. You're going to use your face. You're going to use every part of you to demonstrate to that person. And by the way, it's not only for kids. It works on spouses. It works on mother-in-laws. It works on people at work. Like it's it's a phenomenal, phenomenal um, tool, like social skill. It's, it's a superpower, really. So you're going to use your body to connect. You're going to take your agenda, which is, are you kidding me? Don't talk to me that way. And you can't do that. And you can't do that with your brother. And you're going to go to bed or whatever your agenda is you're going to park it you get to bring it back you get to be the frontal lobe but we're going to start with love right we're going to line up with love first then it's the affect matching so this is um the look on your face has to um closely match the look on their face right so if you have a little one in there i thought that julia loved me and she i found out she loved josh and they're sad and you got a little smile on your face because that's cute that's not going to work right and if they're sad about something and you're angry 
that they're, you know, having a fit during the middle of their homework or whatever it is, that's also not going to match. So you want a neurological match. The mirror neuron cells in the brain are going to pick up and notice when the look on your face is very similar to the look on their face. Okay, so you're really joining them in that moment. You're really visiting them in that place and, and staying with them. You gotta be, you've got to dare to be there, right? Um, the next part is the listening phase. So this is where you can choose your words, which is actually the least important. What you say is far less important than how you say it. You know, people don't remember what you say. They remember how you make them feel, right? So this is where you can paraphrase, you can summarize, you can clarify, and you can wonder out loud. So let's say you have a little one and they've been working on a drawing and then they, they, and they ruined it. Something happened in the middle of it and they're screaming and they ripped it up and I hate my life and nothing ever works the way I want it to. And whatever, they go into a full meltdown. Now, the typical way that we usually deal with that as parents is we come in and we try to either contain it right away. What is it? What's going on? Why can't I leave you alone for five seconds? How come this always happens? We come in in that way and you can see how there's no neurological match there at all. Or we come in and we cheerlead. Honey, what's the matter? It's okay. You know what? We can make another one. Like, I'll, I'll grab another piece of paper. Let's, with that kind of energy, I'm exaggerating, but sometimes we do that. Right, and that just fuels it in a different way because then the child is like, oh my God, this is worse than I thought, right? So, so you want to sort of take that energy, you want to line up with love. This is not happening to you. You're not running in the room going, oh no, you're drawing. This is terrible. It's not that. That's not the kind of mirroring I mean. You walk in and you go, oh my goodness, like you've been working so hard on this. You put so much effort and love into this picture. And now you're so upset with it that all you could think of to do is rip it up, right? So the child says, nothing ever I ever draw ever works out everything I never do anything right right then you can paraphrase that so you feel like no matter what you do it just doesn't turn out the way you want you can summarize this happened last week too when you were trying to draw the picture of the helicopter the same thing happened hear my affect right mm -hmm. you can clarify what where did this go wrong like where in the picture like because you were happy for a while and then all of a sudden it fell apart well, I was trying to draw this, right? So you can clarify that. Clarifying mirroring is actually really, really good for highly, highly sensitive kids and gifted kids who overreact to the emotional stuff. Um, they usually will be happy to like take that clarifying piece and tell you exactly why something didn't work or didn't, didn't fit. But there's urgency in all of this, right? And it has to be genuine. If you step into this moment to get them to be quiet, to you know, move on with things, to uh, you know, solve the problem, it's never going to work because the, the real um, magic to this technique is that you're just fully meeting them right where they are. That's why I said you have to dare to be there. You have to forget whatever else is going on and just move into this moment with them. And it's not long. It's three or four statements. After the third or fourth statement, which, which does not have your agenda in it, you're not teaching them anything. You're not trying to talk them out of anything. You're not trying to tell them how it's going to get better because the second you do that, they're going to escalate. The second you start with, well, let's find another piece of paper and let's see. No, you don't understand. It doesn't work that way. They're going to argue with you. They're going to take all that energy and they're going to argue with you and try to convince you why things are worse. And in the convincing of you why things are worse, they get more upset and they actually escalate themselves. So those steps, oh, and the wondering out loud is the other one. So maybe they're drawing a picture and they didn't. it didn't work out, but really what they were upset about is the birthday party that they didn't get invited to. So you mirror the picture and then you say, and on top of it, I'm wondering if this is just the added thing on top of not getting invited to that party. And then you might have some tears, right? And when you've done all of those things, you have mirrored and that's the M. So 
it sounds it sounds um, easier than it actually is. It takes some practice. And what I find is that parents, all of us, do a better job of, of repairing, what I call repair mirroring. So you kind of blow it and then you go back and go, you know what? I just realized I came in yesterday and told you all about how important it is to make mistakes and you go out of this is what makes you stronger in life. And I did a whole teaching moment when you were just so upset because that picture didn't turn out and you had an idea of exactly how you wanted it to be in your head. And it looked nothing like that on the paper. But can you hear how that would be so healing and so soothing and strengthening? Mm -hmm. Well, I like that the calm technique sort of, I mean, again, like you said, I think sometimes it happens inadvertently, you know, post whatever the blow up must have been. But I mm -hmm. think that it's really mm -hmm. interesting about the idea of like, you know, how actively you can be taking the step to sort of de-escalate and diffuse situations in the moment. And I think, again, like we were talking about this, this sort of, you know, quarantine shelter at home reality that we find ourselves in in some ways is is so much more intimate which i think is is mm -hmm. why some parents might be having a hard time with the idea of setting limits and establishing consequences because they're worried that mm -hmm. there's going to be this big blowout and we're all in the small space and we're going to feel that energy and all mm -hmm. these other things but the truth of the matter is it also provides more time and more opportunity to be that much more connected and to be that much more present so that hopefully you're Absolutely. reducing the amount of these blowouts but when they do happen well, you, you will can really be, be there yeah yeah, and you get, so there will so there'll be two there'll be less meltdowns for two reasons. One, um, you'll have so much more of the connection going on in the background, right? There's there's this love and this oxytocin which actually blocks cortisol. It is I'm not kidding when I tell you it's like a superpower. When you get good at this con technique, you can de-escalate your child in three statements. It's it's that powerful. Okay, it really is. And when when it doesn't work, you're in a vortex, and that's when you do the paradoxical thing that we talked about, where they just can't. They're, they just let them have their meltdown. Um, but the other thing is when you're setting limits and children know that there's rules, just going back to the to the airplane scenario, when they know someone's flying the plane, they're going to behave very differently, which is why most people's children at school behave very nicely. And then they're a nightmare at home. They would never behave at school the way they behave at home. Why? Because the limits are absolutely understood because they just wouldn't. <laughs> That's why, right? Mm -hmm. um, so when you actually have a few days where you're following through on these limits and their consequences happen, and they're not being delivered in anger and fear, they're being delivered with love. You know, you're not taking things away for a month. That's ridiculous. You take it away for a day or you take it away for a night or you can take it away for an hour. That's, it doesn't have to be a huge thing. It just has to happen every single time. And so when you're able to do that, you'll see there'll be much more compliance. I have so many families that are saying to me, I don't know how we would be doing this if we weren't using the connected parenting method. Like we are really having like a pretty easygoing time in this isolation. Like it's really working. Thank God for these tools because it's really changed everything, which, which means you're going to take those tools out into the world after, right? So the lovely part about this is we actually have the time now. We're not driving in 50 different directions. We're we're actually with our kids more and this is the time to really get good at this because you're going to need it moving forward. And I sort of anticipate, I'm guessing that we're probably going to have quite an increase in anxiety when kids go back to, into the world, out into the world and certainly go back to school. I'm anticipating we're probably going to have more school phobia and kids who weren't even really worried about school before because they're so scared. And, you know, I even notice now when, and when I'm watching TV, and I see people in a bar or people hugging. I'm like, oh, my first reaction is to go, oh, they're so close. And I'm like, wait, it's TV. Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm even thinking like how it's seeping into all of our 
psyche, like there, I mean, there'd be really good things that come out of this for sure, but there are going to be some things that really have impacted our children and us psychologically as we move forward into the world um, that that's going to change us for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I keep hearing uh, a lot of talk about the fears like you're describing about there being like potentially like a, a global mental health crisis on the other side of this when those anxieties sort of heighten in all these different ways. But I mean, I think the interesting thing is, and, and this has come up in a few different conversations as well, and we've sort of talked about it is that, you know, the normal, the way that it was before involved so much running around and so much overscheduling and so much, you know, from this program to school to this other program to whatever it might be, which meant that there's a lot of, I think, vital parenting skills that, um, for many parents, um, either have been neglected or haven't needed to be developed in profound ways because you don't necessarily need to be the disciplinarian because, like you said, you take them to school and they behave properly, or you take them to you know soccer game and they listen to their coach, whatever these things are. So it's just about you know managing and, and, and getting through it and then getting into the next place. You don't have to develop those things, and you know because everybody's been at home, there's there's been. And will continue to be a lot of these opportunities to really engage and really pay attention and really develop and hone those skills and add those tools to this sort of parenting coffer. Um, mm-hmm. And once you have those, you can't unlearn those behaviors, right? You might need to remind yourself as you're going forward. But again, the positive things come from, and I, and, and I love philosophically and, 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 and practically, I love all the things that you've talked about for sort of the foundations of connected parenting, because it's about connection. It's about understanding. It's about truly listening. It's about being present. And, you know, this is, you know, if nothing else, this is an amazing opportunity to sort of foster those skills and those mm-hmm. abilities and develop that with, within your family and within yourself and with your parent and, and all those, or your, 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 um, your partner and all those sorts of things. Sure, sure. And that's the thing that it's, it's so healing and it's so strengthening. So you're, you're not only giving your cha- your children like a, a thicker skin going back into the world after this whole whatever it ends up looking like, but these are for life, right? And th- these are, these are um, really powerful uh, relationship skills and loving, loving connection will will that's that's the gift that keeps on giving that's the gift your children will give to their children like this is generational mm-hmm. this is this is really really powerful and if if anything has come out of this socialized social isolation thing it is the understanding of connection and family and you know i have this like crazy dream that we're going to heal the world and fix the world one family at a time like if you can't get it together in your own house how on earth are we going to get it together on a global scale or even a country Right. Mm-hmm. So if each of us just did our best to be kind to ourselves, to be okay when we make mistakes, to make love and uh, and that connection, how we operate and what we operate from, we line up, we, we, we sort of align with that loving energy. I know it sounds so new agey and so crazy, but I don't, I really think that's going to change the world. I do. I really do. I agree 100%. And I'm always the eternal optimist. And I really, really believe in these sort of, you know, these micro moves that have macro implications. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Mm -hmm. again, like you said, you learn how to manage this, this conflict with your child, and then that changes the way that you manage a conflict with your partner or something with a work relationship or a friend relationship, whatever it might be. And, you know, your, your children see you dealing with these situations in this way, and they're going to start to mimic and mirror that behavior. And I mean, it's just going to sort of pay itself forward in, in I, I hope, really positive ways that are going to make the, the sort of bigger changes that, that are, are necessary in the world. 
Absolutely. And that's Absolutely. why I, that's why I love what you've said and 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 in both this this conversation and in the last conversation and and sort of the underlying philosophies and techniques that you've developed in this whole connected parenting um, approach. And um, I really really appreciate you taking the time to chat to be part of the of these conversations. And I highly encourage um, everybody out there who's listening to check out some of the other resources that you've created um, as part sure. of the sort of connected parenting world. So um, if people do want to learn more about you and about connected parenting and, and, and all the other things you're involved in, what's the best way for people to check that out? So connectedparenting.com has tons of information. Um, there's even a link to the, to my podcast. I have a podcast that talks more about this and, you know, we touched on the importance of connection and, and containment, right? Limit setting today, but I have like tons of tools, like tons of them on how to set limits and, you know, all kinds of you know stuff that people can learn about. And I'm, I really do believe in putting a lot of uh, out there for free, just so people can, can use it and, and, and make the world a better place. And if they want to do more, then I have an online parenting course, which has actually turned out to be really amazing. I've got families from all over the world in that course. So um, there's the there's videos, and then it's a living, breathing thing that I keep adding videos to. You own it for life. You're not, it doesn't lock out after six months or whatever. And there's a Facebook group that everyone's a part of. So, and they're all helping each other. And I pop in and out of there and I'm getting to know everybody in a really lovely way. And I also do uh, regular coaching calls. So if people wanted to dive in more, they can do that. If they don't want to dive in even deeper, then we have uh, a clinic both in Toronto and in San Diego with a number of connected parenting therapists that are all trained in the model and they can help people one-on-one -on -one if that's something else that you would uh, like some support with. So there's tons of ways to find out more about us. Cool. Well, like I said, my my excitement and support around what it is that you do is is very genuine, um, yeah, and uh, I really really appreciate you taking the time um, as for both of these conversations to to chat with me and to explain more about what you're doing and to provide these these incredibly useful and helpful techniques that you know hopefully hopefully can help heal the world. Awesome. Thank you so cool. much. Well, thanks so much, Jennifer. Have a great rest of your day. Thank you. You too. Well, I hope you enjoyed today's conversation with our guest, Jennifer Kalari. If you'd like to learn more about Jennifer and what she's doing with her Connected Parenting work, check out her website at connectedparenting.com. If you'd like to find out more about Biba's Rediscovering Play podcast and our Parenting During COVID-19 series, check out our website at rediscoveringplay.fm or listen in on any major podcasting platforms. As always, we really appreciate you taking the time to listen. Thank you for rediscovering play with us.